Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, Editor-in-Chief of ACG's magazine, Middle Market Growth. Today's episode is brought to you by RSM US, a leading accounting, tax, and advisory firm dedicated to the middle market. I'm joined today by Kevin DePew, RSM's Deputy Chief Economist and leader of the firm's National Industry Eminence Program. A lot has happened since we last spoke toward the end of the first quarter, so we're glad to have you back to discuss more recent economic developments and how they're impacting middle market companies in the U.S. Kevin, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you, Katie. Always good to be here. So a jobs report came out last week on Friday, June 5th, that got a lot of attention. What did those numbers tell us about what's happening within the economy? Well, the first thing it tells us is that forecasting is very hard. <laughs> um, in all seriousness, there, it, it, was, uh, it was a humbling moment for the economic forecasting community just because uh, really no one uh, was able to get really even close to what the actual data was. And there were a couple of issues for that. So the first thing is that uh, that just provides a rearview mirror snapshot of the labor market for May, but the BLS acknowledged some misclassification errors. And it's really the third straight month that they've noted there was a misclassification error in the report. And what that basically means is that when the BLS goes out and surveys people uh, in the field, uh, a lot of people are reporting themselves as quote unquote employed, but absent from work. So I mean, what that shows is that uh, from the BLS standpoint as well, estimating the labor market is really not an easy task. Uh, they've noted the difficulties in conducting the survey during the pandemic and the lower response rate. So uh, the bottom line is the unemployment rate is 13.3%. That's down from 14.7% in April. Uh, but the BLS in their notes notes that it's actually probably about three percentage points higher. So that would take us to about 16.3%. And, and either way, as, as we've noted, the economy has certainly bottomed, but the path to the bottom was a literal crash. The employment situation, even right now, leaves us with more than 20 million people out of work who, who went into March with jobs. So I anticipate some serious revisions going forward to the BLS data. Um, and what we're monitoring right now more closely are initial jobless claims. Uh, we've had 42.6 million new claims filed over the past 11 weeks. So, uh, you know, look, the the reality is that this was not a report to uh, run a victory lap on. Uh, it was a report to note that, okay, that's fantastic that it was that the data was actually better than expected, but we have serious issues in the economy. We have a serious number of people still out of work. And I, I would just note that that going back to uh, the Great Depression, People who lived through that, there was a fantastic quote that someone said that just when we thought it was over, it was really only beginning. And so I think that's where we are right now. And did those June numbers tell us anything about rehiring of workers by employers who received loans from the Paycheck Protection Program? You know, that's part of the eligibility criteria for forgiveness. Are we seeing are we seeing workers being rehired for that reason? Oh, yeah. And certainly the, the PPP incentivized many employers to bring back employees. And that's a good thing. Uh, but it also means the initial wave of rehires is essentially the low hanging fruit in the labor market. So these were people who were in the front line, consumer facing roles. The rehiring from here gets a little bit more difficult with each uh, month as we go forward. And so we're also worried about a second wave of job losses occurring uh, a bit higher up the income ladder and affecting white collar employees, many of whom have kind of gone through a little bit unscathed. You've had some reports of, of some uh, pay cuts in some cases, 
uh, or hiring freezes as well as uh, a wage and, and salary uh, increase freezes. And the reason that matters economically is those top two quintiles of income earners account for about 60% of consumer spending. So if unemployment begins seriously impacting those earners, then the recovery will be even further compromised by some of the sluggish spending we may see. And the, the Fed's Main Street Lending Program is another initiative that's slated to launch soon. Do you expect that to provide any meaningful boost for middle market businesses or, or to have an impact on um, some of the potential job losses you just mentioned? Yeah, absolutely. My colleague, RSM Chief Economist Joe Busuelos, first proposed a Main Street Lending Facility back in March. And he's continued to have serious discussions with policymakers about how to get this uh, critical liquidity uh, provided to the middle market. That's an area of the economy that's both underserved by capital markets and commercial banking. Um, and so it's taken some time to get the program operational with a number of modifications made even as recently as this week and, and yesterday. Um, those modifications do a couple of things. They, they help incentivize lending uh, at the request of the lenders, uh, helps incentivize even borrowing from the middle market. and. Uh, it also shifts an additional portion of the loan risk back to the Fed. So all in all, this is a good thing for the middle market. This is a package that should significantly impact businesses that were either excluded from the Paycheck Protection Program uh, due to size and scope. Uh, but at the same time, it also uh, provides some critical liquidity bridges for those firms that are, are still at risk as a result of the ongoing uh, shutdown we see in many major metro areas. It's uh, it's strange to to walk around these days now that we're into early June. I'm based in Chicago, and you know there seems to be sort of a, a return to normalcy in some ways. Businesses are starting to reopen. People are out drinking on patios. So I'm curious what your sense is about how middle market leaders are feeling right now that we're entering summer, and and what is still keeping them up at night. Well, the, you know, if anything, if we look at uh, how this pandemic has unfolded, there were a couple of big surprises, um, especially for the middle market. The first one is that more middle market companies were better prepared for a virtual work environment than many may have anticipated when we went into this crisis. And the second one related to that is, is uh, those middle market businesses that weren't fully prepared were able to quickly leverage existing technology to make it effective and to make it work for them. And I think these, both of these things bode well for the continued transformation we're seeing in the economy. Um, as well, the middle market uh, is telling us they're ready to accelerate their investments in critical technology, infrastructure, digitalization, all those transformative things that, uh, as you know, going back a couple of years in our quarterly proprietary middle market uh, business survey, We've known that the middle market was in danger of falling behind their existing larger competitors and even uh, potentially opening do the door to new startup competitors to leapfrog them due to some of the technology that they were really sluggish in investing in. Um, so if, if by and large, the message we are hearing from the middle market is that, that those uh, who have enough liquidity to have withstood this initial shutdown phase, then it's been a wake-up call. And they realize that they have to be more aggressive in, in increasing their technology usage in a way that creates more efficiencies. A major theme of the last few months has been the different stories told by the real economy versus the stock market. Can you talk about what's behind that dislocation and whether it'll have any enduring effects on the U.S. economy? Yeah, it's not a good look, is it? The economy crashes, the market crashes for a couple of weeks, and then here we are with the S&P 500 up almost 50% today from the March 23rd lows. 
So uh, there are a couple of things about that. The first one is if, if remember that the, the the decline or the market crash occurred quicker than our pandemic experience did. So the market as a forward-looking discount mechanism uh, tends to forecast some of those most dire things on the downside. And then on the upside, they tend to sometimes, uh, in some cases, forecast a better-than-expected economic outcome. Unfortunately, our view is that this is not one of those times. So first, the stock market's not the economy, so that's we can set that aside. They are linked in a feedback loop, however. So uh, stock market prices feed into financial conditions, which feed into the functioning of the real economy, the things that, that we see and, and, and that, as a business owner, you may engage with every day. So interest rates, access to credit, the wealth effect, how rising asset prices create the conditions for spending on, on really everything from houses to automobiles on the big ticket side. So the link between the stock market and the economy we think now is broken. Now, some of that predates the pandemic and there are structural issues to, to that highlight that. The first is, you know, the changing market structure, a concentration of wealth and, and all those powerful network effects that feed into what has become uh, really a winner take most economy. And by that, we mean if you look at, say, the NASDAQ 100 and those large tech company, uh, companies, the so-called, uh, you know, the, the Netflix of the world, the, the Alphabets uh, slash Google, the Apples of the world, those winner-take-most companies. Um, so in addition to that, one of the primary exp explanations for the rising stock market here is simply the smaller number of listed firms. So if you go back to 1997, there were 8,100 publicly listed firms. That was really the peak in public listing. Uh, that declined by 2018 to about 4,300. And I think I read a recent New York Times analysis that found the number of, of publicly listed firms uh, as of 2020 is around 3,600. So that narrowing of the public markets leaves a greater number of investors with a larger quantity of cash chasing the returns of fewer firms. So that's an unsustainable situation that's showing up in everything from valuations that we see now. So it doesn't mean that we have to go back to the March 23rd lows. Instead, sometimes uh, you can work out these overvalue or these extremes in sentiment and valuation through a number of factors. You can do it through price. So price can decline 10, 15, 20%, whatever it is, uh, in a short amount of time. Or you can do it through time itself, where the market just really doesn't do much for six months, nine months to work through these gains. So we don't know which one we're in. My fear is that the economy uh, is not as strong as the market is forecasting. Uh, and, and so those valuations are going to continue to look even more rich when we get another quarter or two out. Over the last few months, the projected shape of a recovery has evolved as the, the crisis progressed. Is there a particular letter of the alphabet or, say, a certain corporate logo that reflects what RSM expects a recovery to look like based on information available today? Yeah, we've, uh, we've heard everything from... Uh, the V-shaped recovery, which is, seems to be what the stock market is forecasting, to uh, the W, uh, to an L. Uh, my colleague Joe Bisuelos, I think, compared it early on to the Nike swoosh logo, and I think that that's, that's probably the one that's closer to what we're going to see. Uh, but I think even a more you know, reasonable way to understand it is as a series of spirals that have yet to emerge. And so what I mean by that is the economic recovery is internally dependent on mutually reinforcing variables whose path we simply don't know yet. Uh, so for example, restaurants in many parts of the country uh, have reopened 
and are reopening soon, but at a much lower seating capacity. So how long is that sustainable? Will they find new ways to generate income, for example? Will they be able to sustain hiring levels? How often will we go to dinner? Will we spend the same on wine and liquor? Now you take those questions and then you can apply them to almost every, in, every industry. So on the retail side, will we shop the same way? Uh, in leisure and hospitality, will we vacation the same way? Will we reduce our spend on services? Will manufacturing demand globally recover? What about trade? Will deglobalization intensify in turn uh, raising the cost of goods and services and, 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 you know, while reducing some of uh, the choices and creating that feedback loop of fewer choices, subdued demand, essentially a stagnant economy that sputters but doesn't catch fire. So these are all the questions we have, and no one knows the answers to these questions yet. It's going to be time. So, uh, you know, it's, it's always fun to play these, you know, this game about what's the, what's the letter, what's the corporate logo. But I think the reality is, uh, you know, again, you know, just when we thought it was over, it was really only beginning. Well, and, and to your point, it's anyone's guess what could happen between now and when you and I catch up for a third quarter economic update. So until then, stay safe and take care, Kevin. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the next one. All right. Thanks so much, Katie. Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. Subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts or Google Play, where you can listen to past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, we'd love if you could rate the show and leave a review to help other listeners find out about us. If you have an idea for a guest or a topic that you'd like to hear on the podcast, we'd love to hear your suggestions. Please email them to editor at acg.org. I'd also encourage you to check out our website, middlemarketgrowth.org, for more content covering the middle market, private capital investment, and trends in middle market M&A.